It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Hello, folks. It is time for the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, uh, which is the top uh, talk radio show in the United States of America. So it's always a privilege for me to uh, get together with you every Saturday at 1 p.m. and then on Sunday at 4 p.m. Thanks so much for joining the More Money Show. Happy New Year. I hope everyone has had an incredibly great holiday season. I hope you've been happy with your family and uh, stayed healthy and uh, have had a great, great um, holiday season. My Christmas plans really got kind of messed up. I got to tell you, three days before I was to go to travel and meet with all my family, and I've got four siblings, and I've got, you know, about 12 and 13 nieces and nephews, and uh, we always get together at Christmas, and the two or three days before we were supposed to go travel uh, uh, to uh, the Chicago area for our annual Christmas gala, I get a call from my sister saying, don't bother to come. Everybody has COVID, and uh, you can't come. So my wife and I had a very quiet Christmas by ourselves. Our kids were away, and so that was kind of weird, actually. But it, it turned out to be very nice. It, uh, but it's not the same as having all the family around. And I think a lot of people experienced the same thing, frankly. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, really too bad that COVID messed up this Christmas season the way it did at the last minute. But I hope you were able to get together with your family and loved ones and uh, had a had a very nice um, holiday season. Uh, Happy New Year, folks. 2022 is finally here, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of my concerns. By the way, I just have to say this. This has now been one year that we've done this show, and I want to thank you, our loyal listeners, for tuning in. Uh, I hope you found some value in this show. It's the highlight of my week to be able to uh, speak to you and talk to you about what's going on with the uh, economy, what's going on in politics, what's going on with money. Uh, and I want to just do a shout out to my great friend, John Katsimides, who is the owner of this station, has really built a powerhouse in the, inter- in the uh, media business and has taken this station to the number one talk radio station around the country. We when we take callers, and I'm not going to be able to take callers this weekend because it's a holiday weekend, but when we normally take callers, we get callers all the way south of Georgia. We get people calling up from Maine. We get people as far west as uh, western Pennsylvania. So we have a great reach. We have a great listenership. If you believe in free markets, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in the idea of free enterprise system is the greatest path, path to prosperity, then you come to the right place because that is my creed that we have to have uh, low taxes, low regulation, the rule of law. We've got to have uh, an appreciation for our businesses. And we've got to, as frankly, Donald Trump put it so well, we've got to make America great, put America first. And uh, that is certainly what I believe in. And I know so many of our listeners do, but I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, I don't care what your orientation is. I like to argue with people. I like to hear people's difference points of view. Uh, That's what America is all about. 
And uh, so, but one of the things that uh, at the top of my mind, and by the way, we're going to spend the last half hour of this show really with a couple of great guests who are experts on the economy and politics to just talk about what is ahead, you know, what to look for in 2022, because, you know, sometimes these years end up and we never would have expected uh, what came about in the previous year. So we're going to try to, you know, look through the telescope and, and see as far as in the future as we can. That's always a risky business. You know, I think it was Mark Twain said, uh, you know, uh, estimating, you know, or making uh, predictions is tough, especially if it's about the future. But we will do the best with, that we can. But I want to tell you something that I'm extremely concerned about right now. And that is, I do not want to see our politicians panic. I do not want to see our politicians panic over this latest wave of COVID. I know people are frightened about it. Uh, I, as I said, I've had family members who've come down with COVID. My son was sick for about four or five days. Uh, my uh, my nephew got sick for four or five days. Some people get over this in 24 hours. Some people don't get sick at all. Uh, the good news is very few people are seriously um, injured or you know have serious health problems as a result of this uh, Omicron variant. So that's the good news. But nobody likes to get sick. It, it's very much like getting the flu. If you get, if, for those of you who haven't had Omicron, it's 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 a flu. It's a sore throat. It's exhaustion. Uh, you know, it's just you know, got to sit down and, and sip tea, and and you don't have much energy, and and it, it goes away in about four or five days. So my point is, though, that we cannot shut down our economy again. Let me say that loud and clear. We cannot shut down our businesses. We cannot shut down our schools. We cannot shut down our uh, parks and our playgrounds. We, we cannot let this virus get the best of us. We should have learned by now, and I believe the evidence is crystal clear, that lockdowns does, do not, do not work in terms of reducing the spread of a virus. They just do not. We have that evidence. If you look at you know, the states that remained open, like Florida and Texas, and you compare them with states that shut down, like New York and New Jersey, there's almost no difference. No difference in terms of the death rate, hospitalization rate, infection rate, none, none. You just don't see it in the data. In fact, if anything, the states that stayed open had slightly better records than states that shut down. And so let's not make this mistake again. It's one thing to have made this mistake and shut down our economy at a time when we were all confused about how serious this virus was going to be. We, we wanted to save lives. We were all, we were all a little bit freaked out about this. I know I was, I think everybody was when, when, uh, when the coronavirus first hit these shores, but now we know much more about it than we did. And we have the evidence that shows that the lockdowns were, if anything, counterproductive, as I like to say, they did not kill the virus, but they did kill a lot of small businesses. They really uh, killed the educational opportunities of our children um, and it was a, a real setback for our country. So my number one concern when it comes to these lockdowns and the talk of lockdowns, because, by the way, Europe is locked down, folks. They're in a panic. They're sitting in the uh, corner of their room in the, you know, with their thumb in their mouth, and then they're sitting there in the fetal position. They're terrified. We can't be like that. We're Americans. We storm the beaches. Right? We don't huddle in fear. 
No, that doesn't mean we don't want to be smart. You don't want to unnecessarily expose yourself to the virus. Nobody wants to get sick. I don't want to. I hate getting the flu. Uh, But we have to soldier through this. We have to be smart about it. And I have to give Joe Biden, as a president I don't think has been a very good president at all, but I think he's been right in saying that uh, this is uh, not a time for panic. It's not a time for lockdown. And he even said this past week, quite correctly, something I've been saying on this show for the last 13 months, which is that uh, we have to let the states take the lead and we should not use the federal government as the somehow the the oracle that has all of the answers, because we've learned that the federal government does not have all the answers. They don't have the solutions. They screw up things more often than they solve problems. And so uh, that's the good news. Now, I've got to say this. I am from Chicago. Many of you um, who are regular listeners of the show know that I love my home city of Chicago. It's my kind of town. I love New York, too, by the way, and, and uh, travel to New York all the time. It, it used to be before uh, COVID used to uh, go once a week, but, but I've been traveling there less. But my point is, in the city of Chicago, the Chicago Teachers Union voted this past week by 90% of the teachers union members said they did not want to teach next week. They don't want schools to open. They want to do remote learning. Oh, what a tragedy. That is out, absolutely outrageous that we have teachers that do not want to teach our children. They will not go back in the classroom. 90% of them. Folks, what are we doing? Why are we letting these people in front of our kids? If they want to huddle in fear, that's their own business, but they should not be teachers. They should not be teachers if they are not willing to get in front of the classroom, especially when they face very, very little danger whatsoever. And it speaks a lot. I mean, we had one year of our kids not going to school. One year in states like New York and New Jersey. It did irreparable, irreparable damage to our children. It was child abuse, what happened during that period. The educational setbacks for kids from the ages from four to 18 were awful. And we see this in test scores now, we see it in aptitude tests, we see it in all sorts of the grades that kids are getting, what they learn, the learning, the, the, their um, writing samples, their uh, standardized test scores are, have dropped. They suffered from not being in school. And folks, remote learning does not work for at least half of the kids. For the high achieving kids, remote learning is fine. Uh, they do. They're so self-directed. They can do fine. They don't even need necessarily a teacher in front of the classroom. But it's the average kids and the below-average kids that need a teacher and structure. And I was like that, by the way. I mean, my God, when I was 10, 11, 12, 14 years old, I was bouncing off the walls, folks. I was. They would have put me on Ritalin when I was a kid. I was just so filled with energy. And the last thing I want to do is sit in a chair and listen to a teacher all day. But uh, I. Uh, I needed that structure. I went to a Catholic school, and boy, when you got out of hand in the Catholic schools, they'd take that rule, and they'd whack you on the knuckles, and if that didn't work, they'd knock you over the head with it. I mean, you had to behave. We don't have that kind of discipline, unfortunately, in the government schools these days, but my point is simply this. Let us not allow our schools to shut down. If the teachers in Chicago or New York or whatever city it is, if they don't want to teach, we should have them get out of the way Get out of the way. We shouldn't force teachers to teach if they don't want to teach, but we should find people who will teach our children. We cannot afford another week of our kids going without a school to go to. And if, the, if, the, if you can't find enough teachers, 
in the public school system. We should have the federal government provide a temporary voucher to every child in America that wants their kids in school, and they can go to a Jewish school, a Montessori school, a Christian school, a Catholic school, uh, this school, that school. I don't care what it is. Get the kids educated because when kids aren't getting educated in second, third, and fourth grade, it hurts their achievement forever, forever. We're going to feel the repercussions of this for many, many years. So that is my warning. We cannot allow New York to shut down or Chicago to shut down or Boston to shut down or Atlanta to shut down. We have got to get on with this. The good news is, the bad news is this virus is very contagious. The good news is that it is not severe for most people unless you're elderly or have other health problems. So we're going to get through this because we're the United States of America. We're not going to shudder in fear. We're going to take it head on. We're going to let life go on. We're not going to sacrifice our kids because we're worried about, you know, 85-year-olds getting um, sick. We are going to do the right thing here. And if the teachers don't want to teach, then we'll find other teachers who will teach our children. All right? That is my more uh, money minute explanation of what's going on. When we come back, I've got two great guests who are going to do a real retrospective of what happened in 2021 and what to look forward to in 2022. And I'm going to ask them, what is your profoundest wish for 2022? Think about that, folks. What do you want to see in America? Not just for yourself, but what is your hope for America in 2022? You're listening to the More Money Show. I'll be right back. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. You're uh, listening to the More Money uh, Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in these United States of America. Great to be with you. I hope everybody had a very, very happy New Year's Eve and uh, looking forward to a great 2022. Um, I want to remind people, if you want to get the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, which is the best newsletter out there on politics and the economy, and I'm a little biased because I'm the editor of that, but you can get it for free. It costs nothing. All you have to do is go to the website, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and give us your email, and we will send it to you for free five mornings a week. And two of the people who work with me on that hotline and are the best in the business uh, are Peter Roth, who is with Newsweek, uh, has uh, served as a senior fellow for the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and is uh, one of the great political analysts. Uh, you've seen him on Fox News and Newsmax and all the TV stations over the years. Peter Roth, Peter, uh, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Good to be with you. And what do you mean has served? I thought I am serving. <laughs> and then we have uh, E.J. Antoni, one of the top rising economists in the United States. He is oftentimes in the Wall Street Journal. He serves as a economist at the invaluable uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation and also is, uh, is a uh, regular columnist. Uh, E.J., thanks for joining us today. Steve, pleasure to be with you as always. Happy New Year. Okay, so I want to have a lot of fun with you guys, but I want to also be very educational. We've got two segments, so we're going to cover a lot of territory, but it is going to be rapid fire because I want to get through a lot of information for our uh, listeners. And I'm going to start with one uh, that I want to ask you, and you can ponder this for a minute because I'm going to answer my own question. But the question is, what is your New Year's resolution for yourself? <laughs> what are you going to do differently? What are you going to do for, uh, to improve yourself in 2022? And what 
should be the New Year's resolution for the United States of America. Now, I am going, I want you, and I want our listeners to ponder that question. What are you going to do to improve yourself, and what should we do to improve our country? And I will now answer that question. The first thing, in terms of my own situation, I have seven pounds to lose, seven pounds. So I am going to try to cut back on the sugar and on the protein that is putting on those weights. But more, more importantly, I am going to try to work off these calories by doing the, the uh, bike and do the electric, uh, elliptical equipment. And uh, I want to, in the next month, take off those seven pounds because you just feel it. You know, as, as a friend of mine used to say, you know, who was about 15 pounds overweight, he would carry around a bag of flour that was 15 pounds. He said, this is how much extra weight you're carrying. And you really realize how much toll it puts on your body. So I hope anyone who is like me, who is overweight uh, and needs to lose some of the LBs, do it. Come on, do it. Make Make a pledge this year that you are going to take off some of those extra pounds because you will feel better. We need every American to be at the top of their game in 2022. Uh, Now, my resolution for the country is that we do not, we must not overreact the way we did in 2020 to this latest variant of the pandemic, of the virus. We should have learned that lockdowns do not work, that shutting down our schools, our parks, our churches, our businesses had a very, very damaging effect on our society. It did not work. And so please, please, please let us not panic again. Let's not let our politicians shut down the American economy, shut down the American society, because it did great damage to the American people. It did great damage to our country, and there was no positive effect whatsoever. So those are my resolutions. Peter, I am going to start with you. What is what are you going to do to improve yourself in 2022? What is your resolution? Uh, my resolution to improve myself is to uh, work harder in the defense of freedom and prosperity and create a better world for myself and for my children and for the grandchildren that I do not yet have, but hope to have. My resolutions for the country is that they just stop and take a deep breath and take a look at what's going on around them and ask themselves if it's okay with them or not. Uh, Because I think that, that the presidential election coming in the middle of the COVID panic, not the COVID pandemic, but the COVID panic caused people to make some bad choices. And I'm hoping that if they just take a deep breath and look around them and and really look at what's happening in this country, who's trying to maneuver themselves into positions of power, what they want to do, uh, that we will end the year in a much better position than we begin it. Well, that's a great answer. And by the way, Peter, you already do a lot for freedom and free, for free enterprise. So if you even do more, I certainly applaud that. But we love what you write. We love what you, the, what you contribute to this Thank society you. in terms of to the, being a defender of freedom. But, EJ, let me turn it over to and you. it's easier than losing weight. <laughs> it's tough. I don't know if I can do it. I, I have uh, seven and a half pounds to lose, and I've got to get on it. All right, uh, EJ, uh, what is your personal resolution for 2022 inquiring minds want to know my personal resolution is to get more sleep and i know that may sound lame 
But hear me out. Hear me out here. If you get enough sleep, you're more alert during the day. You're more focused. You get more work done. So all in all, you may think, oh, if I just stay up and, you know, for an extra hour, I can get a little bit more work done or, you know, I can relax a little bit longer, whatever the case may be. You know, believe it or not, that that sacrifice of time devoting that to to sleep really does pay off. Well, EJ, let me let me just intervene for one second. You know, I did work for Donald Trump and I think Donald Trump operates on about four to five hours of sleep a night. Now, he is a he is a freak of nature. The guy has so much. I've never had anyone like that. But how much how many hours of sleep do you normally get and how many hours of sleep do you want to get? You know, I used to always get eight hours a night, and I've I've been getting significantly less than that lately, and I think it's starting to show in in just about every area of my life. So that's that's the reason why my goal is to get back to those eight hours. Eight hours. Hopefully, hopefully get everything back to normal. Yeah. So I'm 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 only half as good as Donald Trump, I guess, because I need twice (laughs) as much sleep as he does. If you're half as good as Donald Trump, that's pretty damn good. Okay. Now, what 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 is your resolution for the country? What does the country have to do? The American people, what do we need to do to make our country as great as possible in 2022? We need to stop being so occupied with fear and we need to get back to facts. We need to get away from the people who want to just divide us and use us for political purposes. And we need to get back to relying on hard data. And I think that will solve a lot of our problems, everything from from economics to covid. Right. We're not going to listen to the Dr. Fauci's of the world anymore. If all of a sudden we stop and ask, hey, why are you saying that? Where did you get that information from? What hard evidence do you have? If you ask those types of questions, you will dismantle a lot of the positions on the left. And that also includes things like the Build Back uh, Better or Broker, whatever they're calling it, Act. <laughs> right. So uh, the interesting thing about what you just said, EJ, because I want to push you back a little bit on that one. And then, Peter, I want your thoughts on this, too, is the problem, as I see it, is, you know, every time I talk to my liberal friends, and I do have some liberal friends, they always throw right my follow the science, follow the science. This is a new mantra. Oh, if you don't agree with me, you're a science denier. And so I think one of the things that's challenging for our country and for just or ordinary folks who, you know, who do their jobs and, you know, and, uh, and work hard and great Americans, but, they, you know, they're not scientists. And I think people are confused about what is the science. And what I've come to the conclusion of in 2021 is that, uh, so much of the science is political science. In other words, it's not real science. It's just confirming people's political views. So I want to ask you both. I'll start with you, Jay, and then Peter. I want to ask that, Peter Ruff. I want to ask you that question as well. How do you? How do we, as just ordinary Americans who are not scientists, know what's truth and what's not truth? What's the fact and what's the fiction? As soon as you hear someone tell you you're not allowed to question it. It is no longer science. <laughs> as soon as as soon as someone says you can't question this, you have to believe it. I mean, that denies what's talk about science deniers. That denies what science itself is. What is science? It is a series of repeatable experiments. That's right. If you got this conclusion, I can run the same experiment and I should come to the same conclusion. If not, we need to go back and reevaluate your initial thought, right? So if you can't question it, it's not science, it's religion. And frankly, it's gotten even worse than that with the current administration because it's it's more like a cult, right? Yeah. It's, it's not only a matter of, 
of you can't question it, but now we're throwing around these ridiculous terms like denier. It makes yeah. no sense. So uh, I think that's a great point, EJ. And Peter, I would love you to respond to that as too, too, because I think people are very confused about what to believe and what not to believe. And, uh, you know, you see that obviously most, uh, you know, most obviously in the area of climate change, where if you disagree with any of their scientific conclusions, you are a denier. What are we to do about this? I don't know what we can do about it, because the people that are normally in a position to to hold the 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 pundits and the scientists um, accountable are largely ignorant. Um, most of the people who are covering the COVID story are are scientific ignoramuses. Um, they don't understand science. They don't understand medicine. They don't understand the specific uh, the, the the scientific process, and so they report on what's said like they would report on a normal press conference, and they cover the. Uh, the COVID deaths and infections and hospitalization rates like they were covering the stock market or they were covering a sports game. They're up, they're down. Uh, let's go to Joe to see why they're down today. Um, you know, it's sort of the morning show approach. And but that doesn't serve the American people well. Uh, you can't be discriminating about the news that you're getting if the news providers aren't being discriminating about the news they're giving you. Uh, and so I'm hoping that, you know, with some of the changes that we expect to see in the next year or two in the mainstream, in the in sort of the legacy media landscape, CNN is under new ownership. Um, President Trump is starting a media company that Congressman Devin News is going to hit, uh, that there's going to be revisions in how things are covered um, that are more about fact than opinion and are more about information than intimidation. So that's Peter Roth. He is a, a columnist with uh, Newsweek, also works at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity as a senior fellow. And uh, E.J. Antoni is also with us. He is uh, an economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and writes often for publications like the Wall Street Journal. And I would just add to what you guys are saying that I still think the problem is a that it's it's what you call in, in the sciences a confirmation bias. And by the way, we're all guilty of this. I mean, I find myself even guilty of it. So if I think, you know, let's say that high taxes are bad for the economy, anytime I, I see evidence that supports that theory, then I will report that. And anything contrary to it, I'll just dismiss. And and the left does that all of the time. So, you know, if the if the weather is warm, ah, this proves that we have climate change. If it's cold, they say so. They, you know, they, they just ignore any other evidence. And EJ, it's, it's troubling to me because uh, I just think the American people are having a hard time knowing what to believe. And I noticed, for example, that, for example, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, I think getting the vaccine, especially if you're, you know, over the age of 50, makes a lot of sense. And I know that there are risks to it. I believe people should have the right to take a vaccine or not to take the vaccine, but I think it probably does save lives. But a lot of people who I respect are, are so, there's such a pushback against the government telling you what to do that now people don't even want to get vaccinated because they don't know who to believe. Absolutely. And not only that, Steve, but unfortunately, this administration has completely botched the rollout that they were essentially handed on a silver platter by the previous administration. 
And and that, that has a lot to do not only with things like how they have refused to, uh, to move forward with therapeutics, but mm-hmm. also the fact that they have purposely muddled the availability of the data when it comes to things like the vaccine. So once you do that, you immediately make people question, right. what are you hiding? What right. are you not telling us? Now, there may be absolutely nothing, right? Or there may be something we just don't know, again, because of how, how uh, shadowy they have been with, with the information. It also doesn't help when the administration says things like, there are no long-term side effects. Well, how can you possibly know that? You don't have a a 10-year study. So once again, when you make claims upon which it is literally impossible to have the data to support it, well, then, of course, people are going to question it, and now people aren't going to trust you. So one one last question. One minute, but I want to ask you both about the the scientist who's on TV more often than virtually all the other scientists combined, which is Anthony Fauci, who, Peter, he's been wrong, 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 wrong. And I think Americans have their heads spinning around trying to figure out what he's talking about. Oh, I think that's right. And I think it would be very interesting to, to have a debate between Fauci today, Fauci last week, Fauci last <laughs> month, and Fauci last year. Because they were all saying different things. Um, right. <laughs> yet somehow, you know, because he's on Saturday Night Live, or he's portrayed on Saturday Night Live, he's a cultural icon, and he's America's doctor, and he's all these these other warm fuzzies uh, and nobody's looking at, 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 at outcomes. And that's the problem here is that there's too much focus on inputs and not enough focus on out on outcomes. Yeah. Good point. And I'll just have one quick thing. We'll take our break, which is that at least if let's say you're in the stock business or, you know, you're a stockbroker and you're advising clients on what stocks to pick, you know, if you're the, if you're the client, you're going to you're going to say, hey, did this guy make money for me? Did he actually did he actually perform his are his picks turning out to be accurate? And and are they, is he making money for me? Or if you go to a doctor and, and you will judge him by, you know, the outcome of his services. But with people in the media and people in many of the sciences, we don't do that. We don't go back and check whether what they said turned out to be true or not. And it doesn't. And, you know, you read The New York Times, they keep going to the same economists, the same scientists who've been wrong, 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 as if it doesn't matter that they've been wrong nine out of the last 10 times. And that's a big problem as well. Okay, you're listening to the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. Happy New Year to everybody. We'll be right back. I want to talk about some predictions for what is going to happen with the economy and what's going to happen to politics in the year 2022. We'll be right back. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. Thank you so much for devoting some of your Saturday afternoon and your Sunday to listening to this show. It's the highlight of my week to be able to talk to you about what's going on with the economy and politics and with your money. And uh, we have a special Today, we will not be taking your calls as we normally do because it's a holiday weekend. But I have two great guests, Peter Roth, who is a political writer for the Newsweek and with uh, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and E.J. Antoni, who is a uh, uh, writer and a senior fellow in economics at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. 
Gentlemen, we're, I want to go through as much as we can in the remaining minutes that we have left. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you some predictions. And let's start with the Build Back Better bill, which we've all been fighting against. In my opinion, it is the worst bill I have seen in 40 years. This is, of course, the $4 trillion spending what I call the Govzilla bill that would massively increase our debt, massively increase spending and taxes, massively increase the welfare state uh, and the uh, and impose all sorts of new regulations on the American economy. So I think it's a horrific bill from page one to page 2,464. Peter Roth, I will start with you. My good friend Larry Kudlow says that this bill is dead is it dead and or could it come back in some new form in 2022 um it is dead in its current form i would still like to see it brought up for a vote in the senate to see who's where get people on record um it is possible that they could come back with a bill that is acceptable to joe manchin that they might be able to get through, but that ignores, for example, the fact that Kristen Sinema, the Democratic senator from Arizona, didn't like it very much either. Um, the other thing that we need to remember is the reason that it's all packed into one bill is because the, the mechanism called reconciliation only needs 50 votes to pass the Senate. It cannot be blocked by the filibuster. If they were trying to do any of the parts of it as individual bills, they probably need 60 votes for everything. So the pieces can come back, but the threshold for success for the Democrats is much higher. They were trying to get it all done in one shot, and the load proved so heavy it broke the wagon. So you think there might be a slimmed down version of this bill that might pass or what what do you think? I I expect that there will be a lot of pressure to come up with a slimmed down version of the bill that the progressives in the House can vote for, because this isn't so much about mollifying um, or getting build back better through as it is mollifying progressives in the house like AOC who still has not announced whether or not she's going to primary Chuck Schumer when he runs for reelection in 2022. So Schumer struck between a rock and a hard head. So she would actually run to the left of Chuck Schumer. She would run to the left of Schumer in a democratic primary in New York. And given the way New York is going, I think she could win. Wow, I know Schumer good. thinks she could win. I know our I, I know our New York listeners are probably shuddering at that idea. I mean, it's hard to believe that anybody who I, I think Chuck Schumer is a died in the wool liberal, so I can't believe anybody can get to the left of him. But you may well be right, Peter. Okay, it's over to you, EJ. What would be the, assuming they passed anything like the uh, Build Back Better bill? What would be you've done a lot of economic analysis of that bill. And I hear that Joe Biden keeps saying uh, answer this in, in particular. Joe Biden says, if you want to fight inflation, pass the Build back better bill. Does that make any sense? No, none whatsoever, especially when when you call to mind what Milton Friedman used to say. Right. He was the great monetary economist of the last century. And he used to say that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. 
And, you know, it really was disappointing that Jerome Powell not only got renominated, but then that Lael Brainerd at the Fed is now going to be the vice chair. So we have we have two people essentially who have overseen this rampant growth in inflation are now either going to stay where they are or have been elevated. Inflation, to put it put in perspective, right? You said that this was the worst piece of legislation in the last four decades. These are the worst inflation numbers we've seen yeah. in the last in the last four decades. And it really almost doesn't matter what inflation metric E.J. Antoni, let me ask you this, then. What is your prediction for what the inflation rate will be in the year 2022? I think we're probably going to hit around 5 percent. 2021, when we finally get those numbers in, that'll probably end the year in the ballpark of 7. And 22 is probably going to come down a little bit, but not by much, to about 5 percent. And 5 percent is pretty high, right, for historically for the U.S., Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're still looking at prices doubling in less than 15 years at that rate. So, I mean, that is definitely still very, very burdensome on the American people because yeah. inflation is fundamentally a tax. Yeah, it is. And with, with people's wages going up by like 4%, that still means they're falling behind over time. Now, Peter, I want, let me swing this back to you. I want to ask you about uh, the – what are the chances that um, – Joe Biden is president at the end of 2022 and that uh, Kamala Harris is vice president at the end of 2022. Um, I think they're pretty good as long as Biden has a heartbeat, uh, right. which is not an unfair thing to say when you're talking about a man who's in his late 70s. Right. Um, I don't. Uh, while while I think people are. Calling into question. Uh, his cognitive ability, and I think at some point the White House is going to have to address that. Yeah. I don't see him. I don't see him leaving office early, voluntarily. Um, I no, think no, he hearing. still intends on running for a second term. Yeah. So I'm hearing rumors, though, that you know the left is uh, the Democrats are freaked out about Kamala. She is a public relations disaster for the party. Everything she touches uh, turns to dust, and obviously the you know the whole. Uh, hullabaloo about the border being out of control. That was her one job to bring some order to the disorder there. I've heard some talk that they may throw her over the side of the the boat and give her some you know ceremonial duty and bring in someone else as vice president. Uh, that would be tough to do. Um, yeah. You know, her her failure to grow in office after a year should be a reminder to people that competence and experience matters more than race and gender. Uh, yeah. When you're right. choosing your president That's and your vice president, I think that the plan initially was to have one with Harris. And then as soon as Biden got into office, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would step down from the high court and Vice President Harris would become Associate Justice Harris, and then Biden could pick a, a, a better right. vice president. Unfortunately, um, you know, life life didn't quite cooperate with uh, with that schedule. And Justice Ginsburg, who I greatly admired, passed before the end of the Trump administration, and Trump filled the vacancy. Uh, so I now they're it. stuck with her. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Although I do think there's a chance they might try to get uh, get Emma out of the way because she is such a political liability and all the left really cares about is holding on to power. But we if, will see. If Breyer, you know, whether if Breyer they... were to resign, I, I think she would be at the top of replacements. But I think 
I think the left's campaign to um, intimidate Justice Breyer into resigning so they could fill the seat with a younger, more progressive justice backfired and strengthened his resolve to stay on the court till he's ready to leave. Now, I want to swing it back to E.J. Antoni. E.J., what is uh, going on with the states? I saw that uh, there was a big population gain in states like Utah and Idaho and Montana and Texas and Tennessee and Florida all red states, and big population losses in states like New York and Connecticut and New Jersey and even California and Michigan, uh, the blue states. Uh, Is there some kind of relationship here between the liberal policies of some of these states and where people are moving to? And do you anticipate that this migration out of the blue states to the red states will continue? Steve, absolutely. In fact, this was actually the topic of the second chapter of my dissertation, so it's something near and dear to my heart. We've seen over the years a very steady flow that has actually accelerated in the last two years of people away from high-tax states and towards low-tax states. And not only are we seeing those population movements, like in the latest census data where you're seeing especially uh, no-income tax states, and states that have overall low tax rates, picking up a lot of people from those high tax states. But another interesting piece came out uh, on December 30th. It was the Metro Area Employment and Unemployment Report. And while it found that every one of the 389 metro areas across the country saw their unemployment rate fall over the 12 months from November to November, 2020 to 2021, only 100 of those metro areas actually saw an employment increase. So that means that the other 289 areas, the reason the unemployment rate went down, right, exactly, people left. People left the workforce and just left the state. And sure enough, where are the uh, where are the concentrations of people leaving to drive down the unemployment rate? It's in blue states. And you still have the high unemployment rates in blue states. The highest city on the report was El Centro in California at 15.5%. Meanwhile, the lowest ones were Lincoln, Nebraska, and Logan, Logan, which is in Utah and Idaho. And both of those were 1.1%. That's almost unheard of. I think your your analysis that you did showed that um, something like 4.5 million people over the last, on net, on the last 12 years have moved into these low-tax states? Absolutely. Again, people really hate paying income taxes. And, you know, people vote with their feet. And while they may not get to always elect the politicians and therefore the policies that they want, they still have the ability in our federalist system to move to where they want to live to better reflect those policies that they that they want to live in. So Peter Roth uh, with Newsweek, uh, the interesting thing about these migration numbers that have been going on now for 30 years of people moving blue, out of blue liberal states to more conservative red states is that the liberals don't really have a very good explanation for why this is happening, right? They, the left and the progressives say, oh, we're going to create a worker's paradise, and yet the workers are, are leaving those states. And, uh, they not only don't have a good explanation, they have no explanation. The right. problem is that a lot of these people who are migrating are bringing their voting patterns with them, and they're turning good red states into purple states. This is one of the things that people say is going on in places like Georgia and Texas, where it's become harder for the Republicans to win, but not 
you know, not nearly as difficult as winning in Vermont or Massachusetts or, or but the other thing that's happening is that as the people behind in some of those states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio are picking up the wreckage, they're turning into red states because yeah. the, the, the governors of those states are recognizing that low taxes, a light touch uh, on regulation, right to work, reliable energy um, supplies, uh, all of that creates business and business attracts population right i think that's exactly right and and i think that you see uh, also a lot of the entrepreneurs and the business owners are moving their jobs to these states like texas and florida and, and i love the sign that was in the uh, on the interstate when you entered into florida from from georgia and it said you know welcome to the free state of florida please leave your liberal uh, liberal ideas and voting patterns behind. I don't know how successful they'll be at that. But look, I hope that we can see the last thing I want to ask you, because we have, to, you know, we're in this station is based in New York City. How much hope do you have, Peter, in this new mayor to turn things around in New York City? Well, it's a it's a tough job, uh, but for Eric Adams, at least by comparison, de Blasio was so bad that it's not going to be hard for Adams to be better. Um, just doing something about the street crime uh, will yeah. immediately make him look better by comparison. So I'm, yeah. you know, I'm hopeful. And he's, and he's picked a guy to run the schools who's an advocate for choice and is warm to charter schools. And if he's willing to take on the New York City's teachers union, and, you know, Adams can have an air traffic controller moment uh, where where he lays down the law that schools are about kids, not teachers. Right. Game changer. So uh, we got just a minute and a half left. Uh, E.J. Antoni, let me ask you this question. You know, when we, you talk about the city, you know, I've looked a lot at the city data, too, and it shows pretty clearly that the three killers of great cities are, are high crime rates high taxes and terrible schools. Do you think that any of these cities are going to be able to do anything about that? You know, it, it's certainly possible, Steve, especially in a case like New York where you have new leadership. Uh, Giuliani, for example, the former mayor, Rudy Giuliani, he was able to make tremendous strides. So, I mean, this is this is America, right? This this is the, the shining city on the hill and the last great hope. So, I, I think there is always a chance to turn things around. Yeah, I, I would love to see New York come back and Los Angeles come back and Philadelphia come back and uh, so many of our great cities. I love American cities, and I hate to see what the politicians have done to them. And it's not complicated, folks, to solve these problems. Get, get crime off the street, fix the schools, get taxes low. It is not complicated. And we are all hopeful that all of these changes are made in 2022. Uh, EJ and Peter, thanks so much for joining us this Saturday Thank afternoon. You, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, this is more money. And we will talk to you same time next week.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 